this morning that don't have a, a, a witty or clever, I'm not even a witty person, but a witty or clever uh, illustration or introduction. I actually have a few questions for us. Well, actually, a few questions for you. Three, four questions. And don't worry, they're multiple choice, and don't worry, they're kind of all subjective. So you really can't go wrong on these questions. Question number one. What is the role of our suffering in this life? So what is the role of our suffering in this life? Does suffering reveal something about us? Does it show that we're defective somehow? There's a problem with me, I'm suffering. Is it some type of karma where you're not really sure what you've done, but you believe you've done something, so you are suffering? Is it God sitting up on his throne made out of clouds, throwing a lightning bolt down at you, just trying to get back at you because you spent the first part of your life not living for him, or you just sinned in some type of way? Is it that there's somebody else is the problem in my life? Or is it what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, makes you better, makes you faster, makes you stronger? I had to add that last part because I didn't want you to think of the song. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, okay, question number two. Here's the second question. How do you deal with suffering? So first one. For me, do you get really reflective and think about everything that you could have done as this suffering has taken place? And you ask yourself, I could have done this differently, that differently, and this differently, and then this wouldn't have happened. You get reflective. Do you ignore it? Do you wrap it up like a beautiful Christmas present, put a bow on it, go in your backyard, dig a six foot hole and then bury it next to every other hurt and sorrow do you medicate it do you medicate it with substances like alcohol or drugs or do you look at pornography to activate the pleasure side of your brain do you maybe just plop your butt down in front of your tv and enter into another reality or maybe you go on social media to look at how bad other people have it or to give a voice to your own anger without really having to look at a person in the face and say what you otherwise wouldn't have said. That's question number two. How do you deal with suffering? Question number three, maybe the question that we ask more often than not, does God care? that I suffer? Does God care that I suffer? Last week, what we saw is that both creation and God's children eagerly wait, and while they eagerly wait, they groan for the coming of His glory because of suffering. 
the suffering that takes place because the world was subjected to futility. Or what we could also say is that it was subjected to instability. Here's a fun fact for you. This world is unstable. Here's a fun fact for you and me. We're unstable. And so we live in this intermittent time of suffering. There's no way out of it. As we wait for Christ's second coming and the full revelation of God's glory to be adopted as children fully, we will suffer. Does God care that I suffer then? And the answer that we saw last week and that I will say again this week is yes. Yes, this is one of the reasons why Christ came to die for us. But there is one other question that we can ask. Does God help me while I suffer? Does God help me while I groan? While I hope with patience? And this passage tells us, yes, God does help us while we suffer. So here, three words. This is what I think Paul is arguing in this passage. It's just three words. God's got us. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of waiting for Christ to come back, what we can say is God's got us. How so? Well, we're going to see it in a few ways this morning. What we'll see in these verses is Paul's explanation of why we are able to hope with patience. He is going to answer the end of verse 25. If we wait for, if, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. How do we wait for this coming glory with patience? How are we able to wait for it with patience? So let's see. Because God hasn't just kind of thrown you out to sea to let you drift on your own. He hasn't said, okay, I've adopted you. Good luck. Hope to see you on the other side. No. Paul starts this section of Scripture with the word likewise. Likewise. Likewise what? He's referring to verses 18 through 25. The suffering that we just talked about. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And is this not what Jesus tells us before he ascends to heaven, that the Spirit will be given as a helper? Here, here Paul shows us one of the ways that the Spirit helps. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit comes to aid us in our weakness. It is not strength it's not when the spirit sees you that your life is put together when you have read your bible or prayed for 30 days in a row then some type of anointing of the spirit comes on you no the spirit helps us in our weakness when we've been beaten up in the ring and down for the count 
when we've been walking through the desert and we're burnt and tired and hungry and thirsty and we're just looking for some shade. When we've been tripped up and beaten in the valley of the shadow of death. When we are tired and we just don't know if we can convince our legs to take another step. The Spirit comes to our aid and helps in our weakest times. The Spirit's there. But how does the Spirit help us in our weakness? The rest of verse 26 tells us, for we do not know what to Pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. When we are speechless and we do not know what to pray, the Spirit of God does. When we are suffering from the sin of this world, when we are suffering from our own sin or the sin or of another, when we are in such pain from loss and devastation, when we are laying face down on the ground or curled up into a little ball on our couch, sobbing uncontrollably when we have been blindsided by a close friend, a spouse, or a family member, and we are left speechless. When the well of words dries up, our suffering and wounds are too deep and we just don't know what to say. The Spirit of God prays. He prays. He prays on our behalf. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead that dwells in us that Paul was saying earlier in chapter 8. The same Spirit that helps us put to death the deeds of the flesh. The same spirit that has adopted us and that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In our deepest need and suffering, the spirit of God calls out to God for us. Check this out. In our deepest need and suffering, the spirit calls out. God, he prays for us. Not only does the Spirit intercede for us by praying for us, but as verse 27 then tells us, <laughs> he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, this is both frightening and also deeply freeing. It's frightening because the Lord knows us and searches us. The Spirit knows us and searches us. The Father knows us and searches us. They are of one accord. But God just doesn't know us. Like we can say we know an acquaintance. God just doesn't know us like I can say I know a famous person. No, God really knows us. 
he actually knows us better than ourselves. And this passage tells us, and this is why this passage is deeply freeing. Because the Spirit knows what to pray for us. The Spirit knows what the will of God is. So when you are suffering, curled up into a ball, crying, the Spirit is interceding on your behalf. When you are left speechless and it is groaning, the Spirit is groaning for you, the Spirit is interceding on your behalf. And guess what? He is praying a perfect prayer for you. Because we are finite human beings, we are told to pray your will. And so we pray in our prayers, God, if it be your will, then here's my request. You see, the Spirit of God does not need to pray if your will, because the Spirit of God already knows the will, and so the Spirit of God prays perfectly for you. The Spirit intercedes on your behalf. You see, What's so amazing about this passage is that we already know that Christ intercedes for us in the throne room, pleading our case. But this passage also tells us that the Spirit of God is interceding for us as well. The Son and the Spirit intercede for us when we just don't know what to say. The Spirit groans on our behalf and does. I don't know if you've ever been around a child who hurts themselves and they've hurt themselves so bad that they're like doing the (laughs) and you just can't understand what they're saying. You're asking the question, are you about to speak in tongues? But here's one of the crazy things. I don't know if you've been around a parent who then says, oh, did you hit your head? Did you pinch your finger? And you're asking the question, how in the world did you understand that gibberish? The Spirit is able to groan out to our Father, and our Father understands. When the pain of this world is too much, and you're left scared, you're left confused, hurt, angry, speechless, God's got you. While we wait for the full revelation of glory, God has got you by the Spirit of God interceding for you by praying a perfect prayer to your Father. This should free us up to not feel any condemnation or guilt when we come to God and we just don't know what to pray. In those moments where you're crying out and saying, God, I don't know what to say right now the best thing to do is to shut your mouth and not say anything. Because the Spirit is interceding for you. The Father who has adopted you will not leave you out in the cold. He's not adopted you just to say good luck in this life. Our Heavenly Father does not leave us. He does not forsake us. Instead, he sends help while we wait. And so while we suffer, and while we hope and wait with patience, we can have confidence that we're not doing it alone. 
that the Spirit has been given to us to groan on our behalf, and we do not know what to say. But that is not it. We come to verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And so this might be one of the most well-known verses in Romans 8. Rightfully so. It's an incredible passage. However, we have to take a look a little bit more intentionally at this verse because it's also one of those verses that can be quickly misunderstood. So what I want to do is I want to look at the middle, all things work together for good, and ask the question, what is Paul saying right here? And then look at what is, who does he Work all things together for good for. So what are the all things that work together for good? Because quickly we can come to this passage and think, I've done good at work. I just got a promotion. God worked that for good. I just helped my neighbor and I found $5 on the ground God works all things for good. Is this what Paul is meaning here? See, this is why context is important for us to know. What has Paul been talking about right here? What is Paul in chapter 8, specifically starting in verse 17, the last part of it, up until now been talking about? Well, let's, let's read. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time. Paul right here is talking about the present suffering. He's talking about the suffering that is taking place while we wait. What Paul is saying is that God takes our present suffering and he works it together for good. But who does he work it Together for. Well, he says, those who love God. And those who are called according to his purpose. So Paul right here is specifically talking about the adopted child of God. So what does it mean and look like to be one of those who love God? Once again, Jesus tells us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's those whose affections have been stirred out of love towards God to obey God. Those who love God, obey God. Not out of this rigid duty, but out of this wellspring of love. What about those who are called? What does it mean to be called? We're going to take a look at this in a little bit more in depth, but it means the inner working of the Spirit. 
It means that the faith you believe that you are a sinner, that you deserve God's full wrath. But Jesus Christ died for you to save you from God's full wrath. And through your trust in Jesus, his life, his death and his resurrection, that God has saved you. The the calling is that there's no condemnation. So for those who are suffering, God works all things for good. He works them together for those who love him. This is the whole story or life of Joseph that we get to see. Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers, Joseph who was wrongly accused of sleeping with his boss's wife, Joseph who was thrown into prison and forgotten about at the end of Genesis. I was just talking about this with somebody. This is maybe the best conclusion besides in Revelation. You read Genesis and all of these terrible things are happening and Joseph sums up our life for us. For what you meant for evil, God means for good. Joseph was a man who loved God, who obeyed God, who walked according to his purposes. And so God works it out for good. But here's where we must keep going. And this is where, unfortunately, this verse, a lot of people have a hard stop. Because we don't then ask the question, well, why does God work it together for good? What is the point of God working it together for good? And this is why if you're ever going to quote this verse, We should also quote verses 29 through 30. So why does God work it together for good? For those, he says in verse 29, who, for those, totally wrote that wrong. Here we go, Bible. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many believers. So why is God working all of this together? What part of suffering does take, what what is the part of suffering that takes place in my life for? It's so that God can transfer his DNA into us to conform us into his son's and daughters to be like the firstborn son, Jesus. And this is the incredible part then, verse 30. And this is why we can say God has got us. For those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified some people call this the golden chain of salvation starting in verse 29 with those whom he foreknew he also predestined 
Paul is continuing to pick up on this thought in verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. What does Paul mean here? Because there's a lot here. I told Sharice when I got home, I said, you know, I just kind of want to do just five sermons just right here. So we're going to have to do a kind of a 5,000-foot view or 50,000-foot view here. Foreknown. Foreknown means that God knew who he would love. Okay? Predestined. That God, before the foundation of the world, chose who he would save. So by the Spirit, he calls them and stirs up into their hearts this calling. the Holy Spirit on a person's life. This inner calling makes the gospel come alive, whereas the gospel was dry and boring and in black and white. It becomes as clear as day in 4K. Such a vivid picture, which leads to then the Spirit's calling of being justified, and that's the seal of being right and reconciled with God. Justified leads to being glorified. That's the end of it all. Glorified. And look how Paul says this last link of the chain. He also glorified. It will take place. God's got you. So God chose you. God's spirit woke you up. God saved you. And God will perfect you. So here's the thing. If if you're here and believe in God's election, God's predestination, where you say, well, since God chose me to be saved, I could just live whatever way I want. I've heard it said, the frozen chosen. I'm just a part of the frozen chosen. If that's your idea of this passage, if that's your idea of election or predestination, then you have sadly misunderstood this great doctrine. What Paul is trying to say right here is that the whole point of this is so that God would glorify you in the end. The whole point of this is sanctification in your life for what reason? To be conformed into the image of Christ, to what he he says in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. This is the purpose of God's saving grace in our life, to be conformed to look like his Son, so that one day when we are out of this mess here in this world, that we would be Glorified just like Jesus. Look, I know this can be a hard doctrine to swallow sometimes. And I don't think we're always called to like what the Bible says. I want to be careful with that. But I do think we are called to submit to what the Bible says.
And this reason of predestination is to sanctify you, to make you like Christ, to carry you on when you don't think you can keep going. Let us look at Joseph one more time. Let's look at his life. Did Joseph get himself? Well, I mean, he bragged to his brothers, little little arrogant guy. Was he asking to be sold into slavery or to be wrongly accused or to be forgotten about in jail? No. But yet at every step of the way, we see a faithful follower of God. And every step of the way, we see how God is working it out. And so we can wait with hope because we know that the Spirit intercedes for us and that God is carrying us through this life. He's carrying us through this life to look more like His Son, Jesus. So if you're here today and you don't believe in God, can I encourage you this way? God does not look at His children's suffering as a waste. God does not look at your suffering as a waste. But here's the thing. God uses his children's suffering to make them look more like Christ. God uses the suffering of his children for good. I don't know where you're at, but your suffering doesn't have to be a waste. Your suffering isn't a waste. It can be used for something so much greater. Your glorification to worship God. And so if you do not know him, I would just like to plead right now is the time to trust in him. Right now is to say, I want you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to be conformed like you. Now is the time. Don't wait. Don't continue to wait. Christian, I want to speak to you. God's got you. Through your suffering, God is working all of this mess, all of this junk together to make you more like his son Jesus, to glorify you like his son Jesus. God will not let you go. He will not let you you down. He is working all of these things together for good because He loves you. You are His child. He loves you. <laughs> and so He sees you in your deep pain and He says, I've got you. You are mine. I'm here with you interceding for you and I'm working all of this together for good. And this good is to refine you, to make you look more like my son, Jesus. So here's how I just want to conclude this. I thought this was pretty incredible, and I just don't think we should miss this. Three weeks ago, I told Therese, I can't wait to get to this part. And here we are. 
you know what Paul is answering here for us in verses 18 through 26 or 30? Paul is answering this question of suffering. Yes, he's answering this question of how we get through it. But more importantly, he's answering the question that he raises back in verse 17. So let's look at this. Here, he says this. I'll start in verse 16 for some context. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if God, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What? What? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So what does Paul go on to say next in verse 18? For I consider the present suffering, provided we suffer with him. Paul is telling us this is what it looks like to suffer with him. This is what it looks like to suffer with Christ. Christ lived in this sinful world. He was tempted in every single way that we were. And ultimately, he was betrayed and he was murdered. He knows He knows how you're feeling. He knows the suffering that you're going through. He's not distant off saying, well, I don't know what you're really going through, so I'll try to understand. I'll compare it to the one time that my dog got ran over. No, Christ knows what you are going through. The King of Kings comes down as the friend of sinners, and is able to sympathize with you because he knows how you suffer, provided we suffer with him. We suffer with him right now. We suffer with him. What? In order that we may be glorified with him. Right? Isn't this the conclusion of verse 30? So we suffer with him in order that we're glorified with him. And Paul then tells us that those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He's answering the question of how do we suffer with him so that we are glorified with him. And Paul's answer is this. God's got you. He's got you by the Spirit interceding for you when you just don't know what to pray. The Spirit groaning on your behalf. And He's got you because He has chosen you and He will not let you fall out of His hand. He will bring you to full completion. Not partial completion. Not a quarter of completion, but full completion. Let's pray. Father, how wonderful is it to know that you are right there with us. You haven't abandoned us in this battle. You haven't left us on our own. You are right now walking alongside us. For some of us right now in our deepest need, 
actually the Spirit's groaning for us right now and interceding for us. Father, would you please allow these verses to come alive and pierce our hearts to see that we can have trust in you because you are a great God who is for us, who has us, who will not let us go. Allow us to be comforted knowing that you have saved us and that you will glorify us. Protect us, Father, from our laziness. Protect us from our temptations to then just say, since God has got me, I don't need to do anything. I don't need to put to death the deeds of my flesh. I don't need to walk according to the Spirit. Father, help us live obedient lives. Help us love you more. In Jesus' name.